Folks, I don't mean to get you any more excited than you probably already are, but we're in the middle of international break. How exciting is that? The international break, it's everybody's favorite two-week window. They only come around a handful of times a season throughout this club calendar. Everybody's favorite point where we can stare club football in the eyes and say, who needs you? Take a break. Take a hike. I'd rather watch Guatemala play Bosnia and Herzegovina in a country that has absolutely no relation to either one of the two. I'd rather watch that than watch club football. Now, obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but what is very, very real and what this international break gives us an opportunity to do is to take a step back and analyze what we've seen so far because the opening leg of the club season is complete and there are loads of storylines to talk about. So many things that have surfaced since the club season has reignited itself. Today, we're going to chat about Bundesliga leaders Bayern, uh, Union Berlin, excuse me, of course I have it. Union Berlin, Bundesliga leaders, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tactics Room. My name is Will Fowler, your host. So happy, so happy that you would come back for another episode. Season two continues to turn along. We never stop here at Breaking the Lines. Last time we chatted PSG's start to the season with Jeremy McGon. Go listen to that podcast, but listen to it after if you haven't listened to it yet. We've got you here now. Can't let you slip. Don't know if you'll come back. So listen to this one and then go and listen to that one. Because you know what? This one, well, they're both very good. But just listen to this one first and then go listen to that one. Uh, we, regardless, we've got a whole new slate for you today. So settle in. If you're a returning listener, you know the deal. If you're a new listener, maybe kick your feet up, you know? Put on a pot of coffee, you made it. You're here. Better late than never. Grab a pillow, bundle up, go for a walk. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day today. Sun is shining through the window. Could be could be hailing by the time you hear this episode. We'll see. But today, it's a beautiful day. Go out, go for a walk, plug in your earbuds, and take a listen for a few minutes. Uh, we're doing it again, folks. We're breaking down a club that's <laughs> wildly overshooting expectations. Uh, and we're, we're breaking them down on this podcast. We've done it before, haven't we? The returning listeners know we've done it before to a mixed bag of results, mostly negative. But we've gotten a couple a couple big ones in there. Uh, remember the soliloquy on, on Ajax from season one that we gave? Just, you know, selling them as greater than the semifinal team from a few years ago. Just the greatest thing since sliced bread, only for them to lose in the Champions League round of 16. We've given young boys that treatment. You've been sporting that treatment. Well, aside from that, we're going to try to turn the tide today when we chat Bundesliga leaders Union Berlin because they've gone off to a very, very impressive start. And let's chat about that start because Union Berlin currently first in the Bundesliga after seven match weeks, five wins, two draws, zero losses, only team in the division yet to lose. And that's a division with Bayern Munich, a division with Borussia Dortmund, a division with RB Leipzig. There are some fantastic, fantastic clubs in this division. Union Berlin is the only one who, to this point, have not lost a match. And that puts them in rare company, not just in, in Germany, of course, but in Europe. They're in company with PSG. They're in company with Real Madrid. They're in company with... Barcelona, they're in company with, in my very objective and unbiased and not fan-oriented opinion, Tottenham Hotspur. All those clubs yet to lose a match, Union, in that class. Very, very impressive. The question we're asking today is what's been the key? Because something like this doesn't just happen. And if you haven't been paying attention, you'll look at the story and you'll think that it's a one-off. It's it's a, a, a miraculous story that has only come about since August, when in reality, 
That's not the case. This is a story that's, that goes much, much deeper than that. And the key to Union success, you don't need to look much further than the man standing on the touchline, Urs Fischer, their head coach. When we speak about how, how this story doesn't begin this season, it begins years ago. It starts when Fischer was hired ahead of the 2018-2019 season. Union Berlin, still in, in the second Bundesliga. They're still in the second division of, of German football. And Fischer comes into the fold, and he takes this club, this capital club that had never played Bundesliga football before, and guides them to it, not, not through the, the automatic promotion places, but through the promotion of playoff, which you might hear and you might think that's not as impressive as finishing first or second in the division. But think about this. There are only six second Bundesliga clubs who've joined the Bundesliga through that promotional playoff. It is a wildly one-sided match between 16th place in the Bundesliga, third place in the second Bundesliga. It is a tie that for the last handful of years has been written off almost as a foregone conclusion that the Bundesliga side would retain their place. And so when you look at a second Bundesliga side that is now playing in the Bundesliga, because they won promotion through the playoff, it's very, very impressive. One of only six sides to do that since the system was created 40 years ago. The first promotion playoff was 1981-1982, that season. Only six teams in 40 years have done it. Union Berlin was one of them at the end of the 2018-2019 season. So it's their first time in the Bundesliga. You look at a story like that, and that's fantastic enough. But they didn't stop. Next year was, of course, that COVID year, 2019-2020. Union Berlin finished 11th. And I actually remember that, that side very, very well. Um, admittedly, I don't remember the second Bundesliga team much. Um, but I, I do remember in particularly the, the COVID reset when everything had stopped. And particularly for an American sports fan, everything stops. And obviously across, across the globe, everything stops. But the first thing to return was the Bundesliga, specifically the the Revier derby between Borussia Dortmund and Schalke. Remember that match well? Erling Holland bagged a brace, I think, maybe a hat-trick, but Borussia Dortmund won that match 4-0. And you look at, at the table and you see all the names that you're used to seeing. You see the Bayerns, you see the Dortmunds, you see the Leverkusens, you see the Mönchengladbachs, you see the, at the time, Schalkes, which were not in the top four, but hovering around those places. And then you look a bit further down and you see a club named Union Berlin, which if you weren't following German football closely, this was your first exposure to them. And they're sitting like in the top half of the table and you're like, who is this? Who, who is this club with, with a fraction of the resources, a fraction of the ability? And they continue to play and play and play. And if you remember that, that COVID shutdown, you remember that once everything restarted, there was the five subs rule, there was the world-class players fully rested again. And, and after the restart, those big, powerful clubs kind of just, just ran the ship and dominated uh, from there on out. So Union fell a bit, but they still managed to get across the finish line in 11th place, which is very impressive for a side playing in their first Bundesliga season ever. And they only got better. The season after that, 2021, seventh place with a, a first-ever European berth, playing in the, the Conference League. And this most recent season, fifth place, qualifying for the Europa League. I mean, it has been nothing but upward trajectory since this club hired Fisher. And there's reasons to it, and we'll dive into them. Um, what's more impressive for me 
is that not only has Fisher done this with this squad, but he's done it with wild constraints. Because, of course, Union are not this wealthy, enormous, perennial title threat, or even, until a couple years ago, a threat at the European places. And still, Fisher is continuing to find success. There's two things I want to point out to, to illustrate that. The first is is this club value. And I know that, that, that player value is oftentimes maybe relied on a bit too heavily, but when you're measuring one club to another, particularly in the same season, I think you can certainly look at club value, a combined player value, as a, a decent yardstick for, for where a club should finish. And you look at this club in 2019-2020, its first season in the Bundesliga, club value at 17th place, out of 18, ahead of only Paderborn, below the likes of Dusseldorf, below the likes of Werder Bremen, and they finish 11th place. The season after, still 17th, ahead of Bielefeld, but below Schalke, below Werder Bremen again, below Köln, and they, they finished 7th that season. The season they finished 5th, a season ago, 13th, below the likes of Hertha Berlin, below the likes of Stuttgart, who they finished above comfortably. And then, of course, this season, they're sitting at the top of the Bundesliga table, and they've got the, the 12th greatest squad value in the Bundesliga. So this team is consistently punching above its weight. No matter what the finish line is, Union was not expected to reach it, if that makes sense. The year they finished 11th, they were a, a, an afterthought. They were expected to go straight back down. The year they finished 7th, they had the second lowest player val uh, squad value in the division. The year they finished 5th, they had the 13th best squad value in the division. The year that they're currently sitting top of the table, They've got the 12th best squad value in the division. So it's there's something to it, and we'll point to what that something is because there's there's a few things. I know I keep, I'm, I'm cryptic. I keep, I keep alluding to, we're going to get to it, we're going to get to it. But let me set the stage first. Let me set the stage. Um, the other thing that I that I want to, to point out before we dive in and analyze this Union Berlin squad is it's a squad that's had so much turnover. And... When you've got a squad, we see it so many times. You, there, there's squads that are newly promoted or they overexceed in one season and then they just buy, 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 buy. And it, <laughs> it almost never works. And I think we can all think of one club this season across the, across the English Channel in, in, in the Premier League who might be susceptible to that. And I won't mention them by name here because we're probably going to dive into that a little bit later on a later episode. But you see these clubs that buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. And sometimes it's it's without purpose. Sometimes it's just because you have the financial capability to buy now. But other times it's because you're replacing a, a swath of athletes that have left and departed and gone somewhere, either somewhere else or somewhere better. And this is an Union side that have had to do that literally every single season since they won promotion. The year that they come up, the summer of 2019, after they've won promotion through the playoff, they bring in 16 new players to replace 22 that have left. The year after, they bring in 25 new players. That's a squad, folks. That's an entire squad. 25 players they've brought in to replace 22 that have departed. And of course, some of these are loan signings, some of these are return from loans, but still, it's new blood in the clubhouse. The summer of 2021, they bring in 26 players, 26 new players into the fold to replace 23 who are departing. And then this past summer, they bring in 15 to replace 19, which sounds tame, but still, bringing in 15 players in one summer is, is a lot. And you, you, you look at some of the players 
who've departed, and some names jump out at you. The Slaughterbeck twins, Taiwo Awanyi, who's now playing at Speak of the Devil, Nottingham Forest. And this isn't a club that's just treading water, replacing mediocre with mediocre. This is a club that is developing top talent, that is moving up the ladder. And Union are still able to find talents to replace them with. So the fact that Fisher is able to, to consistently get these season-over-season season impressive results is, is strong enough. The fact that he can do this with a poor squad and new faces every single time. And, of course, you've got some stables on the side. You've got some players who've been there either, if not since the beginning of their Bundesliga reign, since most of their Bundesliga reign. Of course, you've got the likes of Christopher Trammell, who, who was just somewhere in the captain's armband. You've got the likes of Rani Kadir, who also wears the captain's armband. But you're still looking at a squad that turns over its 11 and its depth so consistently that you need a manager who's able to weather the storm. And Fischer is that manager. His ability to get results from a squad, not only valued as one of the weakest in the Bundesliga, but also one with rapid turnover, is superb. And a manager like that needs a very specific set of traits, and Fisher has them. One of them is, is he's, he's being cited, he's been cited, and I'm not going to take the credit for this, but you, you read most biographies on Fisher, articles, features, whatever. He's cited as a motivator, a player who can draw the best out of his players and even sometimes more. He's cited as a player whisperer, somebody who understands what is going on in the mind of his athletes and how he can tap into that and bring out the best in them again and those are two attributes that you really, really need in a situation like this because when you're dealing with all this uncertainty and rough waters, if you're not bringing the best out of your players, you will sink. Regardless of... of, of if one of those two, those two stats were not as, as bizarre as they were, if, if Union had a richer squad or if Union weren't dealing with so much squad turnover, even if only one of those two is prevalent you still need to be drawing the best out of your players or else you're playing on the back foot from match day one. And Fisher is able to weather that storm. And so that's why when we say this Union story is not one that was created with this in, that was created this season, that's what we mean. It's been years in the worst. It's been years in the works. And this is just the next step in it. These are the fruits of what Union have built since they won promotion in 2018-2019. We'll talk about Fisher as a manager, his his setup, because I do want to dive into Union and, and how they've gotten to this point, specifically sitting at the top of the Bundesliga table, staring down at 17 teams, but also understanding Fisher as a manager and what he's done since he arrived in the German capital to get to a place where we can now talk about Union in this light. Um, one of the main traits and main characteristics of Fisher's football is it's it's solid and there's this willingness to run and work for the team. It's very organized. It's very well drilled. And perhaps the first thing you'll notice when you flick on the television to watch Union Berlin play anybody, this is not a possession-based team at all, which is rare in, in squads that find consistent success in today's football. This is not a possession-based squad. They only average about 40% possession, which is second lowest in the Bundesliga. I won't say second worst. I almost did. But second worst implies that that having little possession means that you're worse off. And it's not the case with Fischer at Union Berlin. So second lowest, I think, is a more appropriate way to describe, uh, to, to describe Union's possession numbers this season. 40% possession this season, second fewest. 43% possession a season ago, second fewest. Um, and it's because there's this priority, this emphasis on structure and shape and defending in order to attack. And when you, when you 
watch Union is very easy. If you're not watching them for the purpose of analyzing and breaking them down, it's very easy to want to change the channel. It's very easy to root for the other squad. It's very easy to, to turn on something that might be a bit more appealing to a neutral and more entertaining because this is not football that will leave your jaw on the floor. It's not football that, that you'll want to go and tell your friends and your family about. It's, it's the kind of style that, that often gets ridiculed in, in today's football, that, that sitting deep, that playing without the ball, that prioritizing structure, lack of pressing, and we'll dive into all these things in a few minutes when we talk about, about Union specifically. But that's Fisher's mindset, especially at a club that, as we mentioned, doesn't have the same resources to fight with the best at their own game. They need to find something that works for them within the constraints of their limitations, and they've done that. Um, they don't concede. They've only conceded four times in seven matches this season. They conceded four, uh, which, by the way, four and seven is the lowest, goes without say, in the Bundesliga this season. Um, they conceded 44 times a season ago. That was the third fewest in the Bundesliga, 43 times the season prior to that, which is the fourth fewest, and by the way, fewer than league winners Bayern. Again, it's not sexy football, but Fischer has found success despite the limitations of the club and his position. Uh, because of that, and now we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit. Because of that, Fisher never wants to be regarded as a favorite, even if the odds are in his favor. Even if he's top of the Bundesliga, he is a manager that will always want to assume the role of underdog. And that will, will pivot into this, this union section, this segment, where we speak more about the club and the play style itself. Because I had the chance to watch a few of, of Union's matches this season through Y-Scout. I watched a win against RB Leipzig. I watched a draw against Bayern Munich. Uh, I, watched, I watched a big win over Schalke. And I even watched a couple losses that Union have faced in the Europa League where, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil it now. But there are some, some, some key differences between the two. And you watch this squad, and there were three things that I picked out that I want to dive in. And, of course, you know, we're, when we're speaking about a football club and we're speaking about tactics, and this is something that, that if you've listened to this podcast before, you've come to understand, it's impossible to, to touch on every single facet of play in what will hopefully be 45 minutes. I might talk for a little bit longer than that, but it's impossible to describe everything that a club does in one podcast episode. So if you're an Union fan listening to this, if you know more about the club and its history than I do, I'm sure there's plenty of you out there. This is not a club that, of course, I've been in love with since I was a child. This is a club that, that I've begun to follow over the last couple of years and now watch them a bit more closely because of the nature of where they are on the Bundesliga table. I apologize if I miss on some more minute details. There are going to be things that we don't have a chance to touch on in this episode. I would like for you to let me know on social media, either at my personal or on BTO when we tweet the episode out, because there will be things that we don't have the opportunity to dive fully into. But I've grabbed three things that I look at as the, the foundation, the base of what Union are and what they build from. Three key facets that have created this ultimate underdog in German football. And we'll dive into them now. So the first staple, the first pillar, for lack of sounding cliche, the first pillar of, uh, of this version of Union Berlin is a principle that I call back then front, defend then attack. And we spoke about it a little bit earlier. Um, but Fisher is a manager who frequently speaks of wanting to, to take on that role of underdog. He doesn't want anybody to expect him to do well. And 
that leads to this this interesting split where even in times like these, when his team is playing well and they're entering matches as favorites and they're the only Bundesliga squad yet to lose a match, he doesn't want to to relinquish that role. He doesn't want to give up that that underdog mindset because playing as an underdog, playing with the knowledge that you're expected to lose gives him and gives them an edge. And it comes through very quickly with his play style. It's one of the first things you notice when when you flip on the TV and watch Union Berlin is, is you know, if you didn't know any better, you'd watch this Union side and think that they're staving off relegation. You'd think that this is a squad that is holding on for a point in on the final match day. It, it, they look like a squad. The way they function, the way they play, they look like a squad that expects to lose every single match. And it comes from a few things that we mentioned a bit earlier. And also, I don't mean that in a negative light. Because if anything, it's a testament that, that you can succeed playing in ways that don't necessarily require having the ball and these elaborate passing patterns and creating chance after chance after chance. It's a good thing that a squad that plays like that is having this type of success because it's, it's, it, it shows you that there are more than one ways to win, which you've always known. But in, in the past decade or so, this it's it's you know that that's gotten a bit more cloudy. So the the way that this Union squad play, it's a a strong reliance and insistence on playing off of the ball. It's this inclination to defend. They're happy to hand possession to the opposition, and then dare them to break Union down. It, it's really as simple as that. It's it's. Not that they're they're punting the ball downfield and then inviting them back onto them. It's it's more so when Union lose the ball, it's not this aggressive press to win it back. It's not this this Gagan pressing where where you're immediately onto the opposition. You're stretching yourself out vertically to win the ball back high up the pitch, where which is where most managers and coaches deemed to be the most important part of the pitch now is winning the ball back in those dangerous areas. That seven seconds before and after you lose the ball is where a match is won and lost. And that's not a mindset that Union Berlin and Fischer subscribe to because they lose the ball and they don't press aggressively. They don't go and chase the defenders with their attacking players. They prefer instead to sit in a mid to low 5-3-2, shrink space between the lines, refuse to press, as you mentioned, until late stages of possession and the thing is, they display this wonderful understanding of applying aggression only when the moment calls for it. And that's why you look at the squad play and you think that they're they're holding on for a point and that they, they're trying to take any point wherever they can get it because they're not opening themselves up. They're not playing expansively. They're not taking risk out of possession. They're instead playing for a draw, it sometimes looks. Um Statistically, it's backed up. As we mentioned, the second lowest possession rate in Bundesliga, 40.9%. But they've also got the second lowest, lowest, I don't know. The second, again, worst is not the right word to use because it, it implies bad. And this is not bad because it works. They have the second most infrequent pressing intensity. That's what we'll say instead. Um, in terms of presses per defensive action, Union Berlin rank 17th out of 18th. Uh, which shows you that they're not eager and they're not addicted to winning the ball back right away. They'll they'll lose the ball, so be it. They'll sit back, defend. They'll they'll regather themselves. They'll invite and dare the opposition to break them down. Which spoiler alert: most of the time they don't. And then they'll win the ball back and they'll play that way. That's what I mean by back then front defend 
lock that down, solidify that, and then once you've done that, you're able to attack. Uh, Union traditionally, traditionally you call it a 5-3-2, a, 3-5-2, a 4-4-2 at times. The two strikers are a constant, and we'll chat about them uh, a bit later. But we, regardless, using an extra defender, which they do uh, out of possession, it, it is that 5-3-2 mid to low block, and this industrious midfield trio who isn't required to to create and progress the ball as much as they're required to lock down the center of the park, limit the area for opposition players to run through slash move into. It's this very robust understanding of that, that, that Fisher displays, which is that success starts with what you do off the ball. And as we'll discuss more later, Union are not the side that want the ball at their feet for extended spells. In fact, when you looked at, at Union's fixture list and their results, their their best results of the season have come when they've enjoyed the their lowest shares of possession. They beat uh, they beat Leipzig with 26% possession. They drew with Bayern with 26% possession. And the worst results have come when they own the ball at 50% or even more than 50%. They lost both of their uh, Europa League matches to Union Saint-Gilois. And Braga, they they don't want the ball for a number of reasons. But the primary reason is that they understand that the characteristic, their, their main characteristic, the characteristic that they need to play to is that ability to slow down opposition sides without the ball. And that's a strength that they play to exceptionally well. And especially in the league like the Bundesliga, which we'll chat about, um, there's so much attacking quality that Union, that Union understand they don't necessarily have. And instead of matching them pound for pound and, and trying to beat them at their own game, Union don't. They defend, and then they attack. It's something that, you know, I don't think unique is the word. Unique is sometimes overused and, and oversaturated in, in football analysis discussion because there's thousands of, of clubs and thousands of managers, and for something to be truly unique, it's got to be something like playing with 13 men. Like, that's what unique is at this point in football. But, but it, it's something that we don't frequently see in the Bundesliga, a league so predicated on pace and power and ability for a side like this one to focus on structure and, and solidity and, and defending to find this level of success. And we can tell that this is a mindset. This is a, a characteristic that the entire team buys into and not just a few defensive players because even after Union lose the ball, when they win the ball back and then they, they, they play out and, well, they don't play out, they play long. But when they, when they win the ball back and then lose the ball, it's not just the five defenders and three midfielders or, or the two midfielders if one is a more attack-minded player. It's not just them coming back and defending. It's you've got players further up the pitch. You've got the strikers. You've got those players understanding the instruction of defense then attack. And so you see those attacking players come back to defend and come back to try and win the ball back when the ball's behind them. When the ball's in front of them, they'll sit compact. When the ball's between the lines, when the ball's behind them, we'll frequently see those players come back and attempt to win the ball back. Um, it, it does a number of things. It obviously encourages this, this cohesion as a unit, but even more importantly, it, it requires opposition players, specifically opposition attacking players, to be wary of, of threats from every single angle. 
there are some squads that we watch that lose the ball back and the attacking players will, oh, whatever, they'll sit on the defensive line or maybe the wide players will stay wide. And the only player that you have to worry about if you have the ball at your feet is the one who's running at you, the one that's in front of you, the one that you are running at. And those are our out-of-possession systems that are destined to fail. They're broken. They're fractured. They're not 11 players working together. It's the only player that's working out of possession is the one who the ball carrier is staring at, right? And it's just 11 individual battles. And that's not the case with, with Union Berlin. It's you see those attacking players come back and try to win the ball back. An opposition, an opposition player needs to be wary of threats from every single angle. And when you close space as quickly as Union Berlin does, when you've got that many bodies in that small an area, it's a shame that this is a podcast and not something video-based because there were so many shots when I was going back and watching these matches. There were so many camera shots of, like, aerial, aerial view of just how compact Union sit out of possession. It's, it's if you're a defense-minded fan of the sport, if you appreciate out of possession shape and structure, you will fall in love when you see shots like that because that's that's how Union play. They're impossible to break through. And that's partly due to players understanding, okay, we've lost the ball. Now let's come back and play out of possession and win the ball back. Um, not that scoring goals isn't important for Union. I don't, I don't want to, to have that be the message because, of course, you need to score goals to win matches, and I don't think that's any groundbreaking analysis that we haven't heard on any other podcast in history. But it's just, it's not the main priority, and that's the purpose, and that, that's, that's the message of that, of that quote, back then front phrase that I used, is, is you establish the defense, and then, once that's complete, then you can attack. It's like, eat your vegetables before your dessert. You're not saying you can never have dessert, but you've got to eat your vegetables first. Once that's done, then you can worry about playing an attack and going and winning the ball back. When you look at Union's goal-scoring numbers, they're actually very impressive. They've scored 15 goals from 5.9 expected, which, okay, which, which is going to send off some, some sirens and some warning flags, and we'll chat about them, but 15 goals is, of, of course, one of the highest tallies in the Bundesliga. Now, here's the thing, is 5.9 expected is, is third fewest, uh, third fewest expected goals versus the second most actual goals, and those kinds of splits are always tasty, they're always fascinating, because you get to dive in and you say, well, are the strikers overperforming? Or, well, that's really the only, the only circumstance, right? Is if your actual goals are wildly outperforming your expected goals, then your strikers are overperforming. But is it sustainable? And that's a question that we'll chat, we'll ask, and then we'll chat, and hopefully we'll answer. Um, but we won't know until, of course, the season plays out. Conversely, they've conceded four times from 6.3 expected, fewest actual versus second fewest expected. That reigns true. That's a testament to this Fisher mentality that we've just spent time harping on that prioritization of playing in defense, playing out of possession. Back, then front. Defend, then attack. Eat your veggies, then have dessert. That's, think about Union in that light. It's, Union Berlin is a child eating dinner. That, that's, that's the perfect way, I think, to sum up the, the, the mindset that this team possess. And that's the first pillar. The second pillar, uh, which we've already discussed a little bit, but we'll dive into, because uh, this is more of a mentality thing than a strict tactics thing. Um, we, we spoke about defending than attacking, but this is also a squad that prioritizes structure over skill. 
And that's the second pillar for me, is structure over scale. And again, we've chatted about this a little bit more. We'll chat, we've chatted about this a bit already. We'll chat about it a little bit more because there are different angles that we can break this down from. The big one that, that I want to harp on is the mental angle because this is a squad and a manager. They acknowledge that there's not oodles of, of technique and ability in this squad. We're not talking about world-class passers or elite dribblers or game-breaking attacking players. That's just not what this squad possesses. And so a reliance on structure, which Union have, makes up for those shortcomings. They play as a team, not as 11 individuals. And I know that's cliche, and I've used a couple of cliches on the podcast already, but that's genuinely what this Union side do, is they play as a team, not as 11 individuals. And the team's output is a tricky one to top, despite the contributors not being world-class athletes or players. And what does this stem from? Because it's very easy, and we see it consistently. Squads that maybe don't have that same level of world-class ability that some of the best in the world do, but they play like they do have that. Like, like they, they will try to beat Manchester City, for example, at Manchester City's own game, and I don't need to tell you how that ends. It usually ends in a lopsided scoreline and an appearance on football out of context. Um, but we see clubs so frequently... It's 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 a lack of self-awareness, I think is what it is, that this is a squad that doesn't have these world-beating players. And so there are other ways to win. But I don't know if it's this inferiority complex or if there's just a lack of self-awareness that you need to find other ways to take points from clubs that have better players than you do. Not many managers and not many teams understand that. Union Berlin do. This comes from an understanding of what a manager is preaching and a valuable self-assessment that, that of where you are as a club and as a group. It's not a bad thing to acknowledge that you don't have any world beaters in your squad. Most clubs don't. It's not a bad thing to acknowledge that you won't run somebody off the pitch with 60% of possession. Most clubs don't. It's not a bad thing to acknowledge that you don't have that individual technique or ability. Where it becomes detrimental and where we see it become detrimental time and time again is when you lack that ability, but play like you do have that ability. And we see it frequently. Clubs that that try to, to play a style that doesn't suit their game because it's the, quote, sexiest way to play. Union don't do that. The self-awareness that Union possesses is incredible because they know that they must find different ways to win. And it's one that the manager, the club, the players, and the fans all buy into. And that that alternative is prioritizing structure, playing as a unit. Because as we've seen for four years since Union won promotion, doing that will give you many, many happy returns and returns more so than, than, than many other clubs around you with, with f- less turnover, maybe better managers, certainly better players, but maybe don't play as, as cohesive as, as you do. And so what is that structure? Well, we spoke about it. We won't harp on it a ton again because you can probably say it with me by now. But it's a very compact, this very tight 5-3-2 out of possession makes it nearly impossible for opponent, for opposition teams to break through them, even when they have world-beating players. Because Union will minimize space between the lines, they'll close down on attacking players very, very quickly. They show a robust understanding of when to, to 
maybe step out of the defensive line or when to step away from the midfield three and open up a channel there. They close on attacking players very quickly and very smartly. They press strategically and cohesively when they need to, which more often than not is not in the opening phases of possession. It's more often than not in the latter phases of possession. They squeeze opposition players who are lurching between the lines by either closing that space down or coming out or man marking. And this is, it's a common staple in teams that use that 5-3-2 shape out of possession. It allows sides to snuff out attacks quickly, to limit the influence of opposition attacking players who are often the most creative and intuitive. But it doesn't matter how creative or intuitive you are, unless your name is Leo Messi, if you have no space to operate, you will not operate. And Union understand that, and they play that way so, so well. This is not an Union side that is blessed with pace all over the pitch, but instead they possess this tactical understanding that they fully harnessed over years, and they're utilizing at an elite level, and they're getting returns from it. Um, compact th Those compact blocks that Union play in, they can be so effective because the most important traits for a successful one that we spoke about, communication, tactical understanding, not pace and power. And this is an Union side that excelled with communication. They excelled with tactical understanding. Maybe not so much the physical attributes, which is why this suits them so well. It's especially remarkable given the nature of the Bundesliga. It's a league that, that is not like, for example, Serie A, where tactics and structure and, and instruction are paramount. This is a league in the Bundesliga that's very founded on pace and power and skill and ability. And to succeed the way that Union are succeeding is somewhat antithetical to what Bundesliga has preached over years and years and years. Um, that, again, I, like th this is the intention is not to paint Union as a squad that have no good players, because they do, and we're about to talk about a couple, but it's just, it's, it's the ultimate, like, sum is greater than the parts, and we see this in, in teams in, in every sport. There are so many instances of the sum greater than the parts. And Union is one of them. We haven't spoken about them in possession, um, mostly out of possession. A, because out of possession football is their staple, but also in possession, you know, route one is disrespectful. But it, it's, there's, it's not this elaborate, complex, labyrinthine structure and, 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 and playbook. It's, it's just not. It's, this is a squad that play quickly into the feet of their strikers. You look at their possession stats, and again, we, we spoke earlier about how you turn on the TV and watch this team, you think that they're fighting off relegation. You go to FB Ref and scroll through the possession stats, and you didn't know where this team was placed, you'd guess 14th or 15th. I mean, they attempt the second fewest dribbles in Bundesliga, third fewest carries, third fewest touches just in general, fourth fewest passes, third fewest progressive... I mean, I can rattle these off, and at a certain point, they lose their meaning, but... The fact that this team so consistently ranks in the bottom three or the bottom four in those stats that many consider to be the, 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 the what's the word that I'm looking for? The sign of a quality club and quality play. The fact that Union ranked third or fourth in basically every single one really makes them quite, quite antithetical to, to what modern football and what German football preaches. Um, and part of that is due to their lack of possession, um, which we spoke about, a squad that doesn't want to operate with the ball for 60% of the game. But it's also due to their understanding that they won't play anybody off the pitch. They, they won't take a game to somebody. It's just not their style of play, and it's not a bad thing. 
I feel like that comes with such a negative connotation. You, you just because you can't you can't bring the game to somebody with sixty five percent possession and twenty two chances created doesn't mean you don't play effective quality football. And Union understand that um, in possession. Now we'll chat about them in possession. Um, they're they're very direct. They they get their strikers involved quickly. They don't establish these intricate passing patterns. They don't move the ball quickly aggressively between the lines and. Part of that is, is, is <laughs> as you spoke about, I think uh, when you watch Union, you'll rarely see the keeper, Frederick Rano, play to one of his defenders. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. Um, but if he plays to a defender, usually the defender will, will ping it long. And it's partly because the, the striker duo that Union boast are the best part of the squad in terms of, of like output and, well, obviously output, but um, yeah, flair and, and appeal. Uh, but it's also because, as we spoke about, the lack of technical quality. When you know that if they play out from the back, if they try to build their attacks from from the back and work the ball forward, they'll lose it. They'll lose the ball. Um, and not every single time, but they'll certainly lose the ball more frequently than other clubs who have that technical ability and who can press from the front and who will get in your face. And so they don't even want to deal with it. That self-awareness is so key because there are so many teams and as a U.S. men's national team fan, this one hits home. There are so many teams that try to force their keeper and, and, and center backs to play out from the back without realizing that their goalkeeper and center backs can't play out from the back. It's like, it, it's, it's tactics 101. There are so many clubs that do that. Um, and it's their Achilles heel because they try to play out from the back with some, some big brute 32-year-old center back who's never played with his feet for a day in his life. And then what do you know? He, he's turned the ball over at the edge of the 18-yard box. So I digress. Uh, that's a chat for another day. But the important thing is that there's plenty of clubs that do that. Union don't. Um, they get the ball away from their goal. They get their strikers involved quickly. They don't establish these passing patterns. They don't move, move the ball at a, at a rapid pace. They instead give it to what I think is the third pillar of this Union Berlin side. We've chatted back then front. We've chatted structure over skill. The third one for me, it's not as flashy. I try to think of like a creative, flashy, interesting title for this pillar, but it's boring. Reliance up top. It's the striker duo that this Union Berlin side possess of Geraldo Becker and Jordan Pifok. Shout out USA, who was not playing this international break, which is why the wound is still fresh. But again, I digress. This is not a USA podcast. This is a tactics podcast. This is a Union Berlin podcast. Uh, so we're going to chat Geraldo Becker and Jordan Pifok because these two strikers are the most important part of Union Berlin in possession when they've got the ball. And you've got a guy like Geraldo Becker. He is playing like a man possessed. And I don't know if that's a phrase that that uh, is too frequent in the soccer football world. I know in American sports, when you play like a man possessed, it means that you're playing like like you're out of your mind, like you're 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 on bizarre form, and that's what Geraldo Becker is this season, leading the Bundesliga in goals with six, tied for the most assists with assists with three, and all you need to do is dive into his game to understand why, because this is a player he's he's given freedom in attack. He's, he's happy to drop into space and receive long balls to his feet or his chest. He's happy to drift into the wide channels and run with the ball. He's happy to turn and run at defenders. He's, for what it's worth, he's created chances and scored goals all three ways. All three ways. 
this pacey forward. He's a top decision maker, and and he 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 does all of that. He he he's he's like a Swiss Army knife of strikers, and he complements Jordan Pifok beautifully because Pifok is is the opposite. Pifok is your more physical striker. He wants to instead of, of dropping a bit deeper or running into wide channels, he'll prefer to sit on the back shoulder of defenders, live in the penalty area to poach. And that's not to say that that's exclusively what he does, because you will find him dropping into space or playing a ball in for, for back or playing in a cross. But if, I, if, if these two strikers could pick their ideal scenarios, that would be it. It would be Becker dropping into space, running around, bringing defenders for a loop, and Pifok you know, pushing on defenders, pressing on the back line, and then getting into the penalty area. That's how I think if you ask them, they would see this beautiful marriage of, of two talented strikers. What's interesting about these two is that if, like, it's never easy to, or it's usually not easy to understand a striker or a a group of players games by just looking at heat maps and heat maps on their own can be very, very misleading. I guess more touch maps than heat maps, right? Because at least on sofa score, you're only tracking where the touches come, not where they're moving to. I think I could be embarrassing myself if that's incorrect, but um, you look at, at a heat map or a touch map and, and it doesn't always tell the full picture. I think with these two guys, it very much does. If you go and look at Becker and PFOC, their heat maps on sofa score and you like, Overlap like like Becker's makes a V around the penalty area, and Pfox is like just a ball in the penalty area. And again, I wish this were a visual a visual podcast because there are so many things that I saw in the research phase of this episode that I would have loved to share in real time. Maybe I'll I'll tweet them with clips after the fact. But you overlap Becker's. Uh, heat map and PFOX heat map and they're like perfect they, they, they perfectly complement each other because Becker's red and yellow kind of sits around PFOX red and yellow and and it's you can see how this duo works and why they're so effective the big thing though and and the, the big trait with Union is is the way that they play on the counter right because a side that that and th- this is true across the board in sides that play in mid to low blocks is it you can succeed that way, but more often than not, you need to be effective in counterattacking moves because that's when the opposition, across any any style of play, that's when the opposition is at its most vulnerable, right? And if you're sitting in a block like that, odds are it's because you know and understand, like Union do, that you won't be as effective when you're set up in the opposition half, when you can move the ball slowly and methodically at an opponent who's sitting back themselves. And so... You need strikers if you're Union who can play well on the counter, and Pifok and Becker both play very, very well on the counter. Um, that's how they create many of their goals. If you watched the the win against Serbia Leipzig, that's how they scored both of their goals. Um, that's when Union are at their most dangerous is on the counter, and they're also both capable of winning in the air, as is the whole team. That's one thing about this this Union side that maybe goes a bit un, unnoticed and underloved is that they are statistically the best aerial team in the Bundesliga. They have the highest aerial dual win rate, which obviously, of course, helps in defending scenarios, corner kicks, set pieces, whatever, but also uh, in attacking scenarios where you've got strikers in the penalty area. Maybe you've got one of your three center backs crashing into the box, and they're the ones that can get up and win a header in the box. So this is a very good team in the air, a very good team on the counter, which helps considering Union's propensity to creating chances with crosses. They're first in Bundesliga 
in crosses into the penalty area. And the fact that, that PFOC and Becker complement each other so well is essential because they are, again, as I said, the most important part of what Union want to do when they win the ball back. They've got little interest in passing the ball around the back because they lack that technical quality. So what they would prefer to do is just ping it up the pitch, play it quickly up the pitch, especially especially when they're invited the oppo- when they have already invited the opposition onto them. There's space for the speedy backer, the physical PFOC to exploit. By the way, that's most times because when you've got 35% of the ball, the opposition is usually on top of you in your half, and then when you win the ball back, pew, like a cannon, you can, you can get on the break. Uh, this is a squad that would rather ping balls long, whether it's from their keeper, from their defenders, into the chests, into the feet of their strikers, and then have that duo pull the strings from there. Um, it's kind of funny because... You you watch this Union squad out of possession, and they're so cohesive and so well put together. And then you watch them in possession, and it almost looks a bit disjointed in the sense that there are many Union attacks where you watch them defend, 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 win the ball back, okay, ping the ball forward, and the only two players playing are Becker and Pifok because they're on a counter. It, it's a counterattack move, and it's just them two running at running at the defense. And you know maybe you'll get a player like Andre Schaefer, who's a more attack-minded midfielder for Union Berlin, joining eventually, but... Uh, you know, maybe sometimes the, the wing backs will get involved at a certain point, but there there are some times where, where you, you sit and you watch Union and you just have to laugh because you're watching this squad that's so smart out of possession and in possession. It's like, okay, you two go, have fun, bye. Like, go and, and, and do all that. And obviously, I'm, 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 that's a very simple explanation of, of how Union play in possession. But um, it is kind of funny seeing that, that that kind of that that split in quality between the two, or the split in mindset, rather, as opposed to the split in quality because... If you look at their goal scoring numbers, the quality doesn't dip. The quality is just it's just different, different mindsets. I think what hammers this home, what what for me at least, what hammered this home is that Union, out of any club in the Bundesliga, they take the fewest touches in the central third, which shows, you know, in you know what's funny? In 99% of the times, that stat means very, very little. Like there, there never will you be analyzing a club or a player or anything and being like, I wonder how many times they touched the ball near the halfway line. Like, most of the time, that on its own doesn't tell you much of a story. But this is the 1% of the time, because this shows you just how often Union play long, play quick, bypass the central third, go from defense to attack, like like at the snap of the fingers. Um, Union want to get the ball into the feet of their strikers. They are this squad's most creative players, um, and the fruits that, that they've received from that so far have been very, very nice. Now, the red flag, the blaring siren, the turn back now is their actual goals compared to their expected goals, which we chatted about uh, a few minutes ago. And, you know, expected goals obviously is something that I think still draws some criticism. It's still a very new age thing. I think it's starting to become a bit more accepted in the football analysis world. Um, But in an instance like this one, it's one that we certainly have to point out because the split between their actual goals and their expected goals is just so vast, and I, I think it could be what ends up undoing them. Um, a well-drilled low block is so difficult to break through, but a side that implements that also doesn't create as many chances as a traditional possession-based side would, um, simply because you don't have the ball as much and you aren't playing in the opposition half as much and you're spending so much time pinned back uh, staring at your own goal, that it's just natural. You're, you're not going to be able to play with the ball as frequently especially when you're playing like that and also don't have the quality of world-class attacking players who can consistently create something out of nothing. I think the, the, the 
easy thing to point out, the, the, the immediate thing that comes to mind is those Jose Real Madrid squads. Of course, Jose Mourinho, we know his legacy, his mindset, the way he sees the game, but you've got attacking players. You've got elite world-class players. Elite might honestly be underselling the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and that whole, that whole crew of, uh, of, of just ragtag forward players who would bang four on your head and then do it again next week. But in general, a club that, that play like that and don't have the world-class attacking players sometimes can flounder and flop because they're defending, sure, they're not conceding, but you know if you're only creating three or four real chances a game and you don't have a striker who you can look at and say, I trust you to bury at least one of them, 0-0 zero, zero is a very real possibility every single time you step out of the pitch. And, you know, this is a squad in Union that have not dealt with that yet. Um, but you look at the, at that expected goals, you look at 15 goals and 5.9 expected, and it's concerning because that means that, that they're living off of elite-level quality finishes and not elite-level quality chance creation. You've got... And those two are very different things. Like it, it's a very important distinction to make because if you're excelling at elite level chance creation, that expected goals number is higher. You're creating more chances. You're creating better chances. The margin for error is greater. But when you're relying on elite level finishing, all that striker has to do is go cold. Not even cold. Go lukewarm. And all of a sudden, you're left floundering and looking for an answer somewhere else. And Union are have a little bit of a safety net because they've got two strikers, not just one, but... You look at Becker, he's got six goals on the season. Leeds Bundesliga, six goals from 1.1 expected. It, it, which essentially means if you take a look at, at Seraldo Becker's chances and, and, and project based on the probability of him scoring from any given point on the pitch, the places where his goals have come from, he's expected to score once. 1.1 expected goals. I hope I explained that well. I likely didn't. Um, but it's a measure of quality of chance. So, Geraldo Becker, his finishing has been elite because he's scored six goals when he should have scored 1.1. Pifak and Becker combine for... They're scoring one goal for every three shots or so. And that's... It's just an unsustainable mark. And I know it's sad because we spent, what, 54 minutes chatting about Union and how, how elite they've been and how, how much fun they've been to watch and how cool the story it is. But we're getting negative now. And I don't want to because... You know, I, I like this duo. I, li- I like Sheraldo Becker. I like Jordan Pifak. I think they work very, very well. But you have to understand at a certain point that a regression to the mean is inevitable. And when you've got two strikers combining for a goal every three shots, it's unsustainable. I will throw at you some names who you've certainly heard of before and their rates. And remember, Pifak and Becker combined a goal every three shots. Karim Benzema, Harry Kane, average one goal every six. Pifak and Becker are twice as uh, efficient this season, as Benzema and Kane throughout their career. Robert Lewandowski, Bundesliga hero. I mean, he tore the Bundesliga apart. Averaged a goal every five shots. Pifak and Becker, one every three. Messi and Ronaldo, are they the two greatest players of all time? That's a conversation for another, deba- for, for another day. I think uh, we, we can spend a season on tactics room discussing that. But two of, two of the greatest players that we've ever laid our eyes upon averaged a goal every eight shots. Pifak and Becker a goal every three. And so for, for me, you look at things like that, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You, you can't look at what Pifak and Becker are doing and expect that throughout the course of a full season. 
And I don't think Union do. Because as fun as they've been, I don't think Union expect to win the Bundesliga this season, despite their start. Is that a hot take? Let me know. I have a feeling that they aren't expecting to knock off Bayern Munich. If I'm wrong in March, I'm wrong in March. I'd, I'd love to be wrong with two, two months left and then have egg on my face and have a new Bundesliga winner. But I, I think Union expect a regression to the mean. And I think they must because this is otherworldly conversion rates that P. Falk and Becker are up to. A, a goal every three shots is better than... You, name a striker, I, I promise you. Uh, P. Falk and Becker combined, their conversion rate this season is better than them. So it's unheard of efficiency. There will be a regression to the mean. And I think the big question that we should come away with from this episode when we think about Union Berlin in the coming weeks or months is if they want to stay... I'm going to say in the title fight for now. If they want to stay in the title fight, if they want to stay in the hunt for Champions League football, can they adapt to when their striker duo inevitably come back down to earth? That's the question. That's the big question for me when looking at this Union Berlin side. Because out of possession, they're golden. They're beautiful. They've been beautiful since 2017-2018. And that's why I went back and I, I, I referenced the goal conceded numbers from years past. Is that this is not just a flash in the pan defensively from Union Berlin. Ever since their promotion, they've been the squad to defend to stifle, to frustrate. Now they're scoring goals with it. And based on the numbers that we're seeing and the eye test, Geraldo Becker has scored some superb goals. Jordan Pifak has scored some outrageous goals. So based on the numbers and based on the eye test, the question, it's not if, it's when. When that striker duo regresses, comes back down to earth, hits a cold patch, how does Urs Fischer... How do Union Berlin react? Because as we said, if they don't, then 0-0 is a very real possibility every single time they step onto the pitch. So we will see. That wraps it up. That about wraps it up for our, our Union Berlin discussion. We Oh, right now we kept it under an hour, but the close is going to be two minutes. So we're going to go over an hour again. Um, but again, Union Berlin, top of the Bundesliga table currently, only Bundesliga squad to have yet to lose a match. It's an incredible record. It's fully deserved. They've played brilliant, brilliant football since the season has restarted. My three pillars, in case you forgot, back then front, Union's propensity towards defending, and once that's done, then you can attack, which is a mindset that, that Fisher has believed in since he arrived. Structure over skill, the acknowledgement and the self-assessment and the understanding that you don't have the individual ability to compete with the world's elite and you must find a way to adapt, and they've done that. And then their reliance up top, Geraldo Becker, Jordan Pifak, the outlets in possession, the cop-outs in possession, the ones who will be the ones making the net bulge, scoring the goals, and can they adapt when those two inevitably get off this torrid, out-of-this-world goal-scoring rate. It's been fun to watch. It could continue for, for, for a few weeks. I'm not saying it'll happen tomorrow, but you look at some, some other historically great strikers of the generation, and Pifok and Becker are blowing all of them out of the water. So either we've just found the two greatest strikers of the generation, or there will be a regression eventually. When that comes, can Union adapt? That will uh, about wrap it up for this episode of the Tactics Room on Breaking the Lines. If you enjoyed what you heard, and I hope you did, because you made it 59 and a half minutes, 
if you enjoyed what you heard, please do not hesitate to listen. Well, first and foremost, listen to all these episodes. Now you can go back and listen to that PSG episode with Jeremy. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, Jeremy, if you're listening, let's go back and listen to that chat again. I might go back and listen. Um, I got, I got some free time. Go back and listen to every single episode of the Tactics Room. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also find a swath of other podcasts, podcasts like Casa de Línea, which is Jeremy's podcast about French football, podcasts like Cortalinas, which is Zach's podcast about uh, Portuguese football. We've got podcasts like Aria de Urigore. We've got podcasts like Road to Qatar. We've got <laughs> so many freaking shows you could want. I mean, what, what more? Where, where else? Where else could you even go? for football content. Why, why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Stick around. Stay with BTO. You'll find something you like. I guarantee. Also, please go and uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow, well, first follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter because that's a better follow than myself. Objectively, at BTLVid. You can find them there. Football content every single day. If you like what you heard here, you'll love what you read there. Also, follow me on Twitter at WillFowler5. You know, I have a banger every now and again. I'm not, you know, it's not too too frequent. But every now and then, you you, you can play witness to a tweet that that might do, uh, I don't know, double digit double digit likes. I've been kind of quiet on Twitter recently. I got to get back into it. Now, now that the season is back and started up, I got to get more active because you guys, the B, the BTL faithful on Twitter, is is really something special. So I got to interact with you guys some more. Um, also, check out our new accounts on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, you can find them both linked in our Twitter page. Just click that link and you can you can find it. I'm sure we've tweeted links from, from those accounts like every single day. Um, and I think that should be everything. I, I always ad-lib these closes, if you couldn't tell. I always ad-lib these closes. I never have anything written down. Um, but those are the big things. Check out our podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on everything else. We will be back here for episode three next week. And I don't mean to spoil anything, uh, but as we draw closer and closer to the World Cup, these, uh, these episodes might become fairly more frequent until the World Cup begins. Um, we will disclose more information in due course. So that's all I will say about that. Uh, but until then, we'll see you back here for Season 2, Episode 3. Again, thank you so much for listening. You've been tuning in to the Tactics Room Podcast presented by breaking the lines.